Hello, hello, Gary Leland here. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Bitcoin for Boomer show. I believe this is our fifth episode, so we're moving quite along on our first season of 12. So we'll see how we do, and hopefully our show continues to get better and better. Also want to make sure you know that you can follow me on Twitter, as you probably just saw there, at Gary Leland. So if you're interested in following my adventures in the world of Bitcoin, please follow me on Twitter there. Now today we have an excellent show in store for you. We have Pierre Rochard, a good friend of mine who's been in the Bitcoin space for quite a while, works for Kraken.com, the exchange Kraken.com, and we're going to talk about a lot of different parts of Bitcoin that we haven't really covered before. We're going to talk more about the Fed, money in general, fiat money in general, gold, Bitcoin, so more of the financial uh, conversation instead of just Bitcoin itself. So that'll be kind of new for us compared to what we've talked about before. I do want to make sure you know about a couple of my websites too, you know, before we get into that conversation, because I know I'm going to lose track on today's show, part of being a boomer, I guess, but I'm going to lose track on today's show and I won't remember to tell you these things, but please do check out my other show, the four minute crypto show, or four minute Bitcoin show rather, it used to be the four minute crypto show and I changed it. That's why I got confused. But now it's the four minute Bitcoin show. It's a show that comes out every weekday, five days a week, and guess what? It's four minutes long. <laughs> That's why it's called the four minute Bitcoin show. But if you want to learn something about Bitcoin, this is a great show to follow and subscribe to because you learn one thing every day. I cover one news article about Bitcoin in four minutes or less. So do check that out before anything else. I also want to thank the people at Biz TV for allowing me to do this show. I've had a great time doing this show. And hopefully our goal is to really help educate you on Bitcoin. I know this show is called the Bitcoin for Boomer show, but this is the Bitcoin for anyone show to be, to be totally straight with you. I'm just a boomer, so I named it the Bitcoin for Boomer show. But if you're interested in Bitcoin, or you know someone who's interested in this Bitcoin, this is the show to watch. So if, you know, if you're interested in Bitcoin, please join us every week. If you know someone else that's interested in Bitcoin, please tell them about our show. Share the show with them. Uh, like I said, we have seven episodes left, I think, of the season. And by the time we get to the end, as you, if you've been watching, you've noticed that this show has gotten more complicated and increased on what we're talking about with Bitcoin every show. So that'll continue to happen. So I want to make sure everyone knows to watch this show. We're going to have a good time. And we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. And welcome back to the Bitcoin from Boomer show from Biz TV Network. As I told you earlier, before we went to the break, today we're going to be joined by Pierre Rochard from the Kraken Exchange at Kraken.com. But before we do that, we always like to start the show off with a, a question from our favorite producer behind the control panel there, Travis Liddick. Travis, you doing okay back there today? Yes, we're doing good, doing good. Don't be so excited, Travis. <laughs> I can't control so myself. <laughs> I can tell. You got a quit now. You're supposed to have a question yeah, for me back there. We got What's a question from Tina in New York. Tina in New York. Our mm -hmm. guest is uh, his wife's from New York, and he lived there for a while. So tell us, maybe he knows Tina. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Tina asks, are there any books about Bitcoin that you would recommend? There are some books I would recommend. There are quite a few. There are a ton of books on Bitcoin. Bitcoin's been out for quite a while. It's an 11-year-old thing, so it's been out 
But I'm going to recommend a book called The Bitcoin Standard by Saifedean Amus. It's a great book. It, it goes from the beginning of money, teaches you what money is, teaches you what Bitcoin is. It's a great book. I'm also going to recommend Inventing Bitcoin from Jan Pritzker. That's a smaller book, a thinner book, but it's more into Bitcoin. I think Inventing Bitcoin may be a good starter book for you. And that's by Jan Pritzker. Then after you finish that, go to in, go to the Bitcoin Standard by Saifedean Moose. You can find those on Amazon or wherever. But those are the two books I would recommend if you're starting out. And if, you're, if you've got a kid, check out the book by one of our previous guests on the show, Bitcoin Money from the Bitcoin Rabbi. So it's another good book. But, you know, that book, since it's a kid book, Bitcoin Money really explains Bitcoin in a real simplified version. So for some adults, that's a good place to start. So those are my recommendations on books. So thanks for your question, Tina. And if anyone else has a question, remember, you can always send your questions to GaryLeland at gmail.com, and we'll try to put your questions on the show. So send us your questions, and we'll try to answer them. But now let's bring on our guest, Pierre Rochard. Um, Pierre, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Gary? Good. I'm still having a hard time with that beard there, dude. I've, I've never seen you with any facial hair. I didn't even recognize you at first. So that's the... Yeah, uh, I recently went through puberty, and I'm a full adult now. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You're no longer a kid. Now, can your, can your buddy Michael, though, because he looks like a kid, can he grow a beard? That's the question. Because he does look yeah, like Mike, a kid. Michael's going to grow a beard, and you're going to think that he's an 80-year-old rabbi. Uh, you'll, you'll see. Yeah, we will see. We will see. But thanks for coming on the show for me today. And how about give the uh, people watching a little bit of information about old bio, just short some information about you so they know who you are. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, I, my professional background is accounting. So I got my bachelor and master in accounting at UT Austin. Uh, and when I was graduating from that esteemed university, uh, my last year there, I met Michael Goldstein, and he was already uh, knowledgeable about Bitcoin, uh, more so than myself. Um, and as we talked about fractional reserve banking, 100% reserve banking, all these are topics that uh, only libertarians find fascinating, only people who are into Austrian economics. Uh, you'll, you'll never really hear those topics discussed outside of those circles. Um, and uh, boy, did we love talking about them, but it led us to talking about Bitcoin, because Bitcoin actually, in some ways, might make the debate uh, moot um, and entirely remove the possibility of uh, having fractional reserve banking exist. Um, now maybe we can talk about that, but that's like three hours at uh, least of uh, debate right there. Um, and when I learned about Bitcoin, my first instinct as an accountant was that I wanted to write some Bitcoin accounting software and uh, to track my cost bases and to be able to track my Bitcoin transactions uh, and understand um, kind of the, uh, you know, the, the accounting for it. Um, but there was no such software in existence. So I started learning how to code. Um, I learned Python, I learned web development. Uh, and uh, then eventually I just became a straight up software engineer and left the world of accounting. Um, but um, Aside from that career transition during this time, I was really studying Bitcoin a lot and reading as much as I could about it and trying to understand it as much as possible. Um, in uh, 2013, I wrote a few uh, short blog posts about Bitcoin. The first one 
was uh, end the Fed, hoard Bitcoin. And basically the, the, the thesis of it is that if we could get everyone to go spend their dollars on Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin, that that would cause the US dollar to uh, disappear from the marketplace because there would be no demand for it anymore. Uh, and the reason I, I want that as a libertarian is because I do think that the US dollar um, is actually unconstitutional uh, in, in how it ex exists today um, because it's no longer tied to gold. Uh, and I think that if we look at the uh, judicial history with regards to the dollar's gold peg, I think that there were uh, mistakes made by justices um, and that uh, the US dollar in, in its current form um, not only is it legally unconstitutional, I also think that it's immoral. Uh, and it's immoral for a number of reasons, um, but the, the primary one being that it, it exists to benefit private banking interests. Uh, and it also exists to benefit um, the federal government specifically, uh, to the detriment of state and local governments uh, and to the detriment of the democratic process uh, because now um, it, it's no longer the case that Congress has the power of the purse, both for taxation and for uh, spending. Um, now there's also the Federal Reserve that can spend, right? And they spend on financial assets, they spend on political bailouts, um, and they uh, spend with some level of opacity. Um, but I, I actually don't think that is... I don't think the transparency is the primary criticism. We know enough about what they're doing to know that uh, it's uh, bad for the U.S. economy. And specifically, so sorry, I mean, I can I can take a pause here, but... Uh, no, 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 continue on, continue on. I'm, yeah. I'm... I think that the specific way in which the Federal Reserve is harming the U.S. economy is that it's making it really hard for people to hold money, to, to save. Um, and so holding cash on your balance sheet is actually, it's not just like people hold cash on their balance sheet because they're lazy or because they're stupid. They hold cash on their balance sheet because they're hedging future uncertain cash flows. And so they are actually thinking about uh, when are they gonna be getting cash inflows? When are they going to have to pay out, you know, cash outflows for any number of reasons, right? It could either be, uh, because they have operating costs of uh, paying their mortgage, or it could be that they have a really interesting investment opportunity, um, you know, through a family member or something like that, where um, so people have uncertain future cash flows um, and holding cash is the best way to hedge that. Now, the problem today in today's financial system with the Federal Reserve is that they have a deliberate policy of inflation where the value of your cash is uh, going down uh, and deliberately so. And so it's creating what um, portfolio managers on Wall Street call cash drag on your portfolio. So if you have 10% of your asset allocation in cash, that 10% is going to lose 2% of its value every year due to inflation. Well, that's if the Fed can keep it at what they want. I mean, that's yeah, the best right. case scenario and, and is 2%. It's also assuming that consumer price inflation is the correct measure of cash drag in the first place. Because I think that the correct way of thinking about it is actually opportunity costs um, associated with the fact that when, when the Federal Reserve is, is, is printing this money, the, the, the specific mechanism by which they've been doing it with QE is by purchasing bonds. 
by purchasing uh, U.S. Treasuries, but also um, private company bonds. And that causes interest rates to go down because they're, they're bidding up the price of bonds. And uh, it also causes portfolio managers to reallocate and rebalance their portfolios by selling bonds in order to buy equities, right? Those are the two big things in a portfolio manager's um, allocation is bonds and stocks. And so when the value of bonds goes up more quickly than the value of stocks, they're gonna sell their bonds and buy stocks. And that'll cause the value of stocks to go up. And so when people look at consumer price inflation, that measure is actually very disconnected from what the Federal Reserve is actually printing money for, right? Yeah, so the well, before we get into that, we're at a hard break here. Let's, okay. let's continue that, but right after this hard break here. So those okay. watch, everybody watching, stick tuned because this is a great conversation here. I want Pierre go all through it because this is great. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Bitcoin for Boomers show from the Biz TV Network Studios. Gary Leland, your host here, and we have an amazing conversation going on with my friend Pierre Rochard. Let's bring Pierre back and let's let's get back into this. We were talking about stocks and bonds and uh, the Fed, and I know I cut you off there. We had a hard break, but I'm hoping you can remember where you were and we can just get right back into that, dude. Yeah, absolutely. So inflation, the way people measure inflation or the way the mainstream media and the government measures inflation is what's called consumer price inflation. So they look at some arbitrary basket of consumer goods, um, and how its uh, prices evolve over time. Um, and the, that's kind of a fallacy because when the Federal Reserve is creating money with QE, they're not buying consumer goods. So we shouldn't expect the consumer price inflation to go up. What they're doing is they're buying bonds. And so we actually do see uh, bond prices go up. And uh, then that has a knock-on effect where stocks go up as well. And the broader investment universe, you know, everything down to uh, a VC firm uh, in Silicon Valley, right? So um, all and including real estate and, um, you know, all, all of these money flows ultimately uh, reflect central bank manipulation. Uh, and it's not like we would ever measure that in consumer price inflation unless something was going really crazy in the economy, right? Where um, people were selling their stocks and bonds and their retirement portfolios to panic buy toilet paper. <laughs> um, but uh, the, um, so, so the correct way to look at inflation is really to look at financial price inflation, because that is where the Federal Reserve is printing money. And um, what, what my view is, is that all of these assets have fundamentally become overvalued uh, due to, to this. And the other part of the equation is, you know, we talked about the stocks and the bonds and the uh, portfolio. The third allocation is cash. And that's where uh, due to inflation, people have been holding much less cash than they otherwise would have. Uh, and so what that means is that asset prices, uh, you know, for bonds and stocks are higher than they otherwise would be. Um, and that when we hit a crisis, like with coronavirus, we suddenly realize that there's too little cash in the economy, right? That there's a cash flow crisis where uh, because people are holding so little cash, they have to go sell assets and cause the stock market to crash. 
Um, and the Federal Reserve has to step in and intervene and uh, pump up uh, the economy by printing more cash that they're missing. Um, now, in a Bitcoin system, which is deflationary, you actually benefit from holding cash. So you don't have that same dynamic of having cash drag that is trying to you know, uh, minimize the amount of cash in your uh, portfolio. Um, now you can be much more um, circumspect and cautious with how you're going to allocate yourself to stocks and bonds. And so uh, you would you know, really hold out for a higher interest rate on uh, bonds or a lower valuation on uh, stocks before investing in them. And that's actually really healthy because if everyone's doing that, that means that uh, we can have capital markets that have some long-term um, sustainability to them, right? They're not manic where they're either in a total boom bull market going parabolic or crashing and everyone's panicking. Um, so we want to have capital markets that are fairly stable and the best way to stabilize them would be to have people hold massive amounts of cash relative to their stocks and bonds and to be really prudent about when they're buying and when they're selling and not be forced into situations where they're having to liquidate because they're overextended on their balance sheet. Um, so, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the Talmud, which is kind of a Jewish holy book, uh, they talk about the asset allocation back then of being one third in business, one third in uh, land, and then one third in reserve, in cash. So I think that that actually reflects what a, a, a reasonable portfolio allocation looks like in a deflationary uh, financial system like Bitcoin's, where you know you hold one third in Bitcoin, one third in now land. But some people argue that Bitcoin is digital land, so maybe you put two thirds in Bitcoin, um, and then one third in business. And so that can be your own personal business, right? You might own equity in your business, your friend's business, or the stock market and, you know, uh, a low cost index fund. Um, but that that portfolio allocation has been distorted by inflation. So now you can't hold that much cash uh, in USD. And so I think that that's how Bitcoin is going to fundamentally change uh, the, the financial system. And I think that's what we've been seeing for the past 10 years of Bitcoin's history is that we've seen this HODL meme emerge and it's become very strong because Bitcoin's fundamentals constantly reinforce that. And it's happened through several different cycles uh, for Bitcoin. And for those who aren't familiar with HODL is holding, just uh, holding on for dear life or a misspelled or whatever. Yeah, the, but, the, the misspelling was that a gentleman was uh, intoxicated and posting on a Bitcoin forum. And uh, he's, he, he his, the, the, the message that he was putting across was that, oh, did we lose some video there? No, no, you're fine. Okay, I'm only seeing myself. Yeah, no. Oh, okay, okay, sorry about that. Um, uh, the the, the, the uh, HODL was a misspelling where the message was that uh, the amount of, um, you know, volatility in Bitcoin made it such that it's really hard to trade. And so um, when people look at Bitcoin's volatility, they either think that, well, I should not trade because there's no way I'm going to be able to time this correctly. Or they think I should trade because I'm going to be able to capture some big gains uh, in, in this volatility. Um, and 
you know, that that's fine. And I think that's based on people's risk appetite and kind of their philosophy of which camp they fall in. Um, but nevertheless, this HODL post was reinforcing this idea of holding Bitcoin for the long term rather than trying to uh, time the markets. Well, I read, I think maybe today or yesterday at the moment, there are over a million Bitcoin addresses just holding Bitcoin. The Bitcoin, the people have purchased that or acquired the Bitcoin in those million addresses, but they haven't moved any Bitcoin off their address or off their wallet in over a year. So there are over yeah, a million people hodling right now. And 60% and of the Bitcoin um, have been hodled for more than a year. And so like that, that would be unheard of in the fiat system, right? Because you're constantly trying to uh, put your cash to work uh, and to invest it so that you're not holding USD. Um, you know, in most businesses, like even physical cash, like you might have a de minimis amount of petty cash uh, in a lockbox somewhere. Um, but as a matter of policy, you want to be sweeping that into a money market fund that's earning a yield. Uh, not so with Bitcoin. With Bitcoin, you can hold it for years. Uh, in fact, it's recommended that you hold it for at least four years. If you look at Bitcoin's price history and you hold it for four years, you're, you've never you know, lost purchasing power over the course of uh, four years or after four years. Over the course of four years, you might be down 80 percent at any given moment um, just based on what's going on with Bitcoin's exchange rate. Uh, which I think is going to continue to be volatile until we reach some kind of maximum equilibrium adoption, right? Right now, there's waves of new adopters that come in uh, every few years, and that's what causes Bitcoin's price to skyrocket during those waves and then to uh, kind of correct back to the fundamental trend uh, after the wave. Well, but this time, it's a little different, I think, Pierre. We have not only do we have all these retail hodlers, but I would say this is the first time we've had so many industrial people hodling Bitcoin or corporations or whatever you want to call it, not just people like me and you. We have actual companies that are holding Bitcoin right now. And that's going to really make a big effect, I think, on the next bull market. Um, but, but then again, though, you know, seeing how bull markets in the past have been 5,000%, how many percent do we need a bull market to have now to really make Bitcoin go from 10,000 to 100,000? Not that much. But those are questions I want to get into with you when we get right back after this break, Pierre. So everybody, we're going to go to a break here and then we'll come back for the Bitcoin for Boomer show with Pierre Richard from Kraken right after this word from our sponsor. So stick with us and we will see you on the return, dude. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bitcoin for Boomer show. I'm your host, Gary Leland. We're recording live here from the Biz TV studios in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. Everybody's moving to Texas from what I understand. And from Texas, I'm being joined from Austin, Texas by Pierre Richard. Pierre, let's get this going again. Now, we were just talking about Bitcoin. We were talking about money in general and the Fed. And now we're talking about Bitcoin. And one of the things I found interesting was the fact that you said with money, fiat money, U.S. dollars, you have to invest those so you don't lose money. If you just set them in your vault or keep them, you're going to have less money or less purchasing power when the year's over. But with Bitcoin, 
since Bitcoin is actually gaining value, if you hold your Bitcoin, you have more purchasing power the next year instead of less purchasing power. How is that going to change uh, the way people conduct business and the way society runs today in the country by having people not have to spend their money? People, to me, I never want to spend my Bitcoin because I know that I've heard stories like my friend bought a pair of sunglasses with his Bitcoin nine years ago, and now those sunglasses, the amount of Bitcoin he spent, it's like a $7,000 pair of sunglasses. So you don't want to spend your Bitcoin because you know that you're going to regret it later. How's that going to affect us? Yeah, so I think that it changes the timing of the cash flows. I think that people are still going to spend their money, but they're going to do it uh, when they want to rather than when they get pressured into doing so. And the metaphor I would use for that pressure is Texas Hold'em. I think that, you know, almost everyone watching this has some familiarity with poker. If you have blinds in poker that are increasing, that is used to accelerate the game so that people play more hands um, because they're getting their chip stack taxed. And it's very analogous to an inflation tax um, in, in that now it makes people play hands that are weaker and of lower quality than they otherwise would. So in a deflationary economy, people are um, you know, able to hold their cash, hold their chip stack and wait for a really strong hand. That is wait for high quality investments rather than settling for whatever low quality uh, investment comes along uh, in order to avoid inflation. So I think that, you know, if we if we're in this economy where people are thinking long term and are making higher quality investments, then ultimately what we'll have is higher economic growth. It's just about the timing of the cash flows and politicians specifically want to bring cash flows forward from the future because they want to get reelected <laughs> um, and they're getting reelected in one year or two years or whatever the case is. And they want people to spend money now so that the economy is doing well under their term. And so then they get reelected, um, which is great for politicians, but it's bad for everyone else because we're having to make compromises in how we actually want to consume and invest. Well, I like your, um, your analogy there with the, uh playing poker there and with that blind going up because I know every time I've been in a tournament made it to that last table I've like had to bet on the first one or two hands or I was going to run out of money and I would have never bet on those hands but I knew that if I didn't I would be out the game in three to four hands unless I won one of the first two to three and so I think that's, that's a really great analogy works. there yeah yeah uh, and it's 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 become rationalized by the economic profession. Uh, and really, they, they don't um, think about it from first principles. They really think about it from short-term incentives uh, in order to uh, you know, have short-term economic policy. Um, and their, their rationale is always that, well, you know, it's very important to have people not be unemployed. Um, and I actually disagree. I think that it's okay to have some level of unemployment in the economy um, because unemployment is actually representative of uh, restructurings happening in the macro economy. So as firms are growing in certain industries and um, shrinking in other industries due to technological improvements, 
um, and you know, due to like our understanding of the natural world improving, some scientific breakthroughs, um, or due to crises like coronavirus, right, where we're seeing certain you know internet industries do much better than uh, retail uh, in-person sales. So. These restructurings are always going to be going on in any kind of dynamic capitalist economy. And the unemployment rate is just kind of a, a measure of the amount of friction going on in the labor market where there are people who are temporarily unemployed until they reskill or retrain to be able to find other roles in the economy. Um, and trying to artificially suppress that is actually going to cause ossification, where now your economy doesn't, your and your labor market doesn't adapt as quickly um, as it otherwise could to uh, changing economic conditions. And frankly, not only changing economic conditions, generally this is because there's growth going on. And in growth, uh, you know, firms are uh, taking market share from others and causing them to fire people, uh, but at the same time hiring uh, as they're taking market share. And so there just needs to be um, some liquidity in the uh, labor pool. So politicians talking about that, I think, are, are really going down the wrong path. And it's causing all sorts of negative effects across the economy, where we saw it with the financial crisis of people making really bad short-term investments because they're just trying to stay ahead of inflation. So they go buy some AAA subprime uh, you know, securitization deals to, to just get some yield. So I think that there is increasing recognition that um, there is something broken about the, not just the financial system, but the underlying monetary system, which is what is enabling this bad behavior in the financial system. Um, and so that's why we're seeing really prominent macro investors like Paul Tudor Jones look at Bitcoin and take it seriously. And Paul Tudor Jones wrote a very long, well thought out piece about why he is bullish on Bitcoin and why uh, he's holding Bitcoin uh, for the, as 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 a trade, but really as you know for fundamental reasons. Uh, and Paul Tudor Jones's his style of macro investing you know starts with technical analysis, and what he saw uh, was the 250 day moving average of Bitcoin, um, and that's kind of from a macro perspective, 250-day moving average is long enough that you're really looking at big trends. Uh, you're not looking at short-term day-to-day uh, price speculation. Um, and the reason that Paul Tudor Jones has to look at big trends is because he's got a lot of capital. And so small trends, he would quickly overwhelm the trade in terms of how much money he's putting in. And it's only recently that Bitcoin became liquid enough and large enough for someone for, like Paul Tudor Jones to be able to allocate a material percentage of their portfolio to Bitcoin without really moving the price um, too dramatically and causing too much slippage. Um, so he saw the 250-day moving average, uh, that the price was above it for a significant period of time um, over the past 12 months, and that that made it an interesting trend. And that kicked off the next process. And so it's not like, Paul Tudor Jones stops at just technical analysis, it prompts him to go and do the fundamental analysis and to actually do the research on the underlying asset to understand what its properties are, what where its value is coming from, how it is accruing value, uh, what are the fundamental adoption drivers are of this asset. And when he did that fundamental research, 
he came to a clear conclusion, which is that he needed to own Bitcoin and a material percentage of his portfolio needed to be in Bitcoin. Um, and we can go into you know what what the fundamentals he uncovered were, um, but I, I think that it, it really comes down to Bitcoin scarcity and the freedom that Bitcoin gives to its users. And it's simply unparalleled uh, when you look at other monetary systems that always have less scarcity and so more arbitrary supply and also less freedom than Bitcoin. And if you combine those two elements, that's what makes for a really compelling fundamental thesis for why Bitcoin's going to continue to accrue value and its exchange rate is going to continue to appreciate uh, an increase in purchasing power. Well, I believe Paul said that, uh, Paul Tudor Jones said that Bitcoin is the fastest horse in the race, if I'm correct. And, uh, you know, we'll get on and that some more on that after this break from our sponsor here. But uh, people now, what you're saying is, are able to get into Bitcoin that couldn't before because of the massive amount of money they would have put into Bitcoin would have changed it dramatically on its own. But now Bitcoin's big enough to handle that. So we'll be right back and we'll get more into that right after this word from our sponsor on Bitcoin for Boomers. Welcome back to the Bitcoin for Boomers show. I'm your host, Gary Leland. Like I say, every time we're at the Biz TV Network Studios in Dallas, Fort Worth, we've been with Pierre Richard from Kraken and we've covered what the Fed's doing to our money, we're covered, you know, Bitcoin, how it's deflationary instead of inflationary. We've covered now that people of high wealth are moving into Bitcoin. Uh, so all these things happening are going to dramatically change, and I said this earlier, the next bull run for Bitcoin, I believe. Um, and, you know, so do you think we're going to see I'm not asking for financial advice, of course. I'm just saying, do you think we're going to see when the bull run happens as it happened when it hit close to 20,000, you know, for example, and it's happened several times in the history of Bitcoin, do you think we're really going to see a massive move this time by all the people who are not only hodling Bitcoin, but the high wealth people getting into Bitcoin, plus the industrial people getting into Bitcoin? What are your thoughts on that, Pierre? Yeah, I think that um, another trend that really needs to develop is for companies to understand that having Bitcoin on their balance sheet and having payment capabilities in Bitcoin uh, is actually a way of hedging some uncertainty about the payment system and the monetary system. And you know, every company has, or of, of a sizable, you know, uh, of a certain size, has business continuity management. And so they need to have backup systems for uh, all sorts of different parts of the company, you know, from an IT perspective. Um, they should also have it for the payment system and for the monetary system. Uh, because if you look at the history of monetary systems, it's not uncommon that they blow up, that they essentially collapse due to abuse from uh, central banking or, you know, government authorities. Uh, where they just print too much money. You're talking um, so about I think fiat that, systems. like, right? Yeah, exactly. So now, from what I understand, I've I've done a lot of studying on this, Pierre. But the average fiat money system has lasted about fifty years, and the United yeah, States went off the gold standard. What about fifty years ago? Yeah, um, so we could certainly look at that, although I would argue that, I mean, essentially the United States dollars has, has already failed. 
uh, in the sense that uh, it has been defaulted on several times now, uh, you know, and it continues to lose its purchasing power uh, it, it, well into 2020. Now, uh, you know, we could point to obviously the the price of gold versus where it was, uh, you know, when we got off the gold standard in the well. There's two dates, right? The 1971 Nixon uh, date, and then there's also the Roosevelt date uh, when he seized all the gold. Um, but in either case, those are both represent um, failures of uh, the U.S. dollar in terms of maintaining its its uh, value and its backing. And that has only gotten worse. Now, do I think the U.S. dollar is going to collapse anytime soon? Uh, no, I don't, because it has this special property of being the world reserve currency um, for now. Uh, and I think that when people understand that the Bitcoin's fundamentals are superior to the U.S. dollar's fundamentals, that we'll inev inevitably see a shift of people and companies and governments holding reserves in Bitcoin rather than holding reserves in uh, U.S. dollar yielding assets like treasuries. Uh, the, the reason, you know, the, the problem with holding treasuries is that the U.S. government can print uh, U.S. dollars uh, to buy those treasuries from you or to make you, you know, to, 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 to fulfill those debt obligations. Um, and so there's really nothing backing the U.S. Treasury. Uh, there's nothing backing those 30-year bonds because the government can just print that money. So they don't even need the tax revenue and the money doesn't need to be worth anything. It just needs to be U.S. dollars. Um, so it, it would actually make sense for the U.S. government to default on its uh, foreign loans um, by printing money. Um, and it very well may be the case that Trump does this in his second term or that Biden does this in his first term. Um, because I think that ultimately the the fiscal situation in the United States is getting increasingly out of control. And I think coronavirus is going to make it even worse uh, with regards to uh, how large U.S. budget deficits are uh, and how, how large the outstanding debt is uh, and what the Federal Reserve is going to do uh, in order to continue to bail out the financial system. You know, we saw trillions get printed this year. Uh, already during the first uh, COVID lockdown. Now, how many more trillions will be printed in the second or third or fourth or nth COVID lockdown when people are uh, you know, being denied their right to operate their business uh, and being bought off by uh, you know, freshly created US dollars? Um, I, I don't think it's sustainable. And so I think that Bitcoin in this context is going to continue to do well. And it's, it's interesting because we saw Bitcoin crash on March 12th. Uh, there was a huge uh, cascading liquidation event where uh, Bitcoin's price went down to like, I think $3,800 or right. something like that. Um, and since then it has completely regained its value. Uh, and so I think that, um, you know, people, the, the short-term holders got shaken out, but the long-term holders that we were talking about of people who've been holding Bitcoin for longer than a year, uh, they bought more and they I piled in because to, to them, it was a value opportunity that this asset was trading at a deep discount. And so that really makes me pretty bullish on Bitcoin, that there's a huge number of people waiting on the sidelines for an opportunity to buy it. And I think those same people are going to be buying it when it's going up because they're afraid of missing out on the train. 
I um, believe that right too. now, as it goes sideways, you know, they're comfortable sitting on the sidelines uh, waiting for it to gain momentum in either direction. Yeah, I agree completely. I bought <laughs> all the way down. And then I was upset even that I didn't. I bought too soon. It went down another $500. So normally you'd be real upset, you know, that you were, your, your, what you had owned was worthless. But hodlers are going, oh, my gosh, I can buy more of this stuff that's worth less than it was an hour ago. So, Pierre, thank you for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. Where can people follow you at and find out more information or, or keep up with you at? Yeah, I think the, the, the number one place to follow me at, at is on Twitter. So, at Pierre underscore Rochard. Uh, and my DMs are open. So, if you have questions or you want to reach out and say hello, feel free to shoot me a DM. Um, and, um, yeah, look, looking forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you for coming on the show, Pierre. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my gosh. Now, see, we could have done two more segments with him if this, his show would have lasted long enough if we had that much time. I mean, I can listen to Pierre talk all day long, but we have a limited amount of time. So before we go any further, though, we do have another question, I bet, from the uh, audience. Have you Yes, we have Danny from South Dakota, and he'd like to know, can there ever be more than 21 million Bitcoin? Well, Danny from South Dakota, I think you're our second person from South Dakota. That's kind of hard to believe. But no, there can never be more than 21 million Bitcoin. When Satoshi Nakamoto invented Bitcoin and wrote the original core code, he wrote it that that was the limit of what could be created ever. So it can never be more than 21 million Bitcoin. So that's the thing about Bitcoin that's unusual from regular money, is that you know how much there is ever going to be, where with money they print as much as they ever want to print. So that's the difference from an inflationary money and a deflationary money. And also, thanks for your question. And if you do have a question, remember to send them to GaryLeland at gmail.com, and we'll try to get your questions on the show. Before we go... To our break, I also want to make sure you know about BitBlock Boom. That's the Bitcoin conference I host every year in Dallas, Texas at the end of August. But go to bitblockboom.com and take a look at our conference, see who our speakers are. This is a Bitcoin conference, Bitcoin only, not cryptocurrency, not blockchain conference, but a Bitcoin conference. So if you're interested in Bitcoin or if you are into Bitcoin, please check out the site bitblockboom.com and I think you will really enjoy this conference if you get to go to it. Now we're going to come back after this uh, break and uh, do a little wrap up of what we've done today and I have a comment for you and we'll do that right after this word from our sponsor so please stay tuned and also tell your friends about the show. Share it with everyone. Let's grow this audience. Everybody needs to know about Bitcoin. And welcome back to the Bitcoin for Boomers show. Now, I'm your host, Gary Leland. Make sure you join us every week for the Bitcoin for Boomers show. You know, on today's show, I think we had a great guest, Pierre Richard. You know, not only did he give us the information on Bitcoin, which we want to get, but he went into more detail on money, fiat money, how Bitcoin is going to change everything about money. It was really a great show. I really enjoyed today's show. And I want to thank Pierre for coming on the show. But another thing I want to make sure you know is that the future, well, it's coming. And Bitcoin is part of that future. 
You see, Bitcoin, well, it's the first programmable money. There's never been a programmable money. I want you to imagine a world where you can have payments without a middleman, investments without a broker, loans without a bank, insurance without an underwriter, charity without a trustee, escrow without an agent, betting without a bookie, record keeping without an accountant. That is what the future may become now that Bitcoin has been invented. Bitcoin is global, it's secure, instant, and nearly free. Bitcoin is the future of money and commerce. Now, I want you to start learning as much as you can about Bitcoin. I'm not telling you to go buy some Bitcoin. I'm telling you to learn as much as you can about Bitcoin. Of course, make sure and join us on future episodes of the Bitcoin for Boomer show. But I also want you to start going to YouTube, search Bitcoin, start watching videos on, on Bitcoin. Go to your podcast directories. Subscribe to podcasts about Bitcoin. There are hundreds of them. Start reading books about Bitcoin, whether it's real books or, or you get from Amazon or listening to books on Audible. Whichever way you consume books, start listening to books about Bitcoin because Bitcoin's coming and it's a freight train. And you need to know about Bitcoin before it gets here, before that freight train knocks you down and knocks you over. You don't want to be trying to learn about Bitcoin at the very end. You want to be prepared. So learn everything you can. It's a lot easier to jump on a freight train when it's just starting out than when it's coming by at 60 miles an hour. So start learning about Bitcoin now. Another thing you might want to do is start watching the Bitcoin for are the 4-Minute Bitcoin Show. Got a little confused there, I'm sorry. But go to 4MinuteBitcoin.com and start watching the 4-Minute Bitcoin Show. One news article every day in 4 minutes or less. A great way to find out about Bitcoin and keep up with current events in the world of Bitcoin. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Tell your friends about the show. Tell everyone you know about the show because this show is not just for boomers. It's for everyone. And we want everyone to learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Gary Leland, and thanks for watching.